Man, can we say thank you to all these kiddos in choir? Man. I sang so loud you can hear them in Athens. It was amazing. Uh, hey, if you have your Bibles, going to be Matthew 21. Matthew 21, continuing our series through the Gospel of Matthew, but we're starting a new series called When Jesus Comes to Town. When Jesus Comes to Town. Hey, just to let you know, one other thing, uh, we're beginning a grief support class. So if you've walked through just some trying difficulties these last few uh, months or weeks, uh, we have a class just for you starting on Wednesday nights. There's a table out in the, in the foyer. And Jeff would love to connect with you. Grief support. Now, I got permission to use this illustration so I don't owe my wife any shoes because that's our agreement. If I don't get permission, then I owe her a pair of shoes. But growing up, you know, our home was uh, just kind of active. I mean, there were a lot of people in and out of our home, so it was just kind of is what it is. Just the house looked like it was going to look like a tornado, right? Boys and friends and all that. And even now, uh, with uh, friends in our neighborhood, there are moments that, you, you know, people walk in, it's like, this is, we're living here. Like, this is not a museum. Uh, we live here. This, this is just what it is, and, and, and there's dishes, and there's stuff, uh, because we live here. Uh, but, when we leave town, uh, we are encouraged by, through some robust dialogue from my wife, that we're cleaning this house. I mean, we're not cleaning like, oh, I just picked up my, my dirty clothes and put them actually in the hamper. And, no, we're like doing all the laundry. We're on the baseboards. We're, you know, shaking out the rugs. We are deep cleaning the house. All of this in prep, not to live there, but to leave from there. Now, there's a motivation behind this. And again, I got permission. The motivation behind this is so that if we don't ever make it back, some tragic event happens. That a Texas Ranger would walk in and go, man, these people live immaculate lives. How do they do it? It's all a facade. Now, now part of it, too, is when we come back, there's just this relief to go, we don't have to do, we don't have to pick up anything. We're just here. And so we just make it livable again. But all of that is in prep for maybe an, an unintended guest. In Matthew 21, Jesus is coming into town. He's, he's coming in as probably the most important guest ever to come to Jerusalem. It's Monday of the last week of Jesus' life physically before he's buried in a tomb, and then soon he'll resurrect and be around for another 40 days. But, but it's this Monday that really sets off the rest of the most important moment, really, I think, in the history of humanity. Jesus, the most important guest. Jesus, the most important person to ever have lived. And we see how the people prepare the way for Jesus to come in. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21, verse verses 1 through 11. If you're there, will you say word? When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples telling them, go Go into the village ahead of you, and once you find a donkey tied there with her colt, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks you anything, say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Verse 4, this took place so that what was spoken to the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, see, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt. Then they laid their clothes on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar saying, Who is this? Crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. There's two exhortations I have for us this morning, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Two exhortations from the text, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. The first exhortation is this. Jesus is and always has been in control. Jesus is and always has been in control. What, What does that have to do with this text? Well, if you're not paying attention to the movement of Matthew, you begin to understand. If you're not paying attention, you'll miss out on the reality that the cross did not come or take Jesus by surprise. Like there was no shock to Jesus that all of these things were beginning to unfold. Jesus had even told his disciples some three times, I am going to Jerusalem, it will be there that I suffer, that I'm mocked, that I will die, and then three days later I'll rise again. Jesus was fully aware of this moment in time, and none of it surprises him. Jesus is and always has been in control. In fact, Jesus is the one who really begins to set things off by telling his disciples to go grab a donkey and her colt. Jesus, you would think, would want to come and ride on a horse, not a donkey. A a, a horse would be ridden on by kings for wartime. They're going to battle. They're going to war. They would ride on a horse. And one day Jesus will return and he'll be riding on a white horse. But here, Jesus rides on a donkey. But he, he tells the disciples, the reason for that, he rides on a donkey is because it's, a donkey was ridden by kings during peaceful times. And so Jesus is coming and he tells, he tells his two disciples, hey, go grab these two donkeys. He grabs a mother and a colt. Now why two? Well, one, you might consider the fact that the colt will behave because the mother is nearby. But also he grabs a colt because the colt had never been ridden on before. Now, I don't know if this scenario was like this, but he tells the disciples, hey, if anybody asks you, just tell them that you're doing the Lord's work and move on. In fact, that's probably how you can get a lot of free things in life. I mean, I had a friend one time say, if you, I can get anything, I can walk into a movie theater free, I just act like I know what I'm doing. I just walk with confidence. I'm doing the Lord's work, and they'll just let you in, right? That's, but I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at. I think Jesus is, is simply laying out, look, these, all these things are coming about because I'm setting them in motion. Now this account is found in all four Gospels. All four Gospels this account is found, and we pick up different details from different ones, but but here's what I need you to see in verse 4. He says, this took place, this took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. What is being done here has been prophesied 500 years prior in the book of Zechariah. Zechariah 9.9 specifically is going to be quoted here in just a moment. But all of this is being fulfilled. Jesus is again revealing that he had an agenda. Jesus' agenda is is to, one, do the will of the Father. But two, he's fulfilling all the Old Testament prophecies. All of this 
exemplifies and magnifies the fact that Jesus is the promised one. And you can imagine that prior to this in chapter 20, the end of chapter 20, two blind men, they were in Jericho, two blind men come to sight, which I mentioned that's the, uh, Jesus is the only one who's ever helped a blind man come to sight. He's the only one that did this kind of miracle. No other prophet, no other, no other preacher, no other teacher. Nobody else did this in the Old Testament. Only Jesus has done this. And you have this where these men, maybe they did not follow Jesus into Jerusalem, but their story certainly did. And there's this great clamor and sense that, that all this news is happening. And you have here, Jesus is emphasizing all of this is taking place. He's in control. And so what do they cry out? He tells us in verse 5, he says, Tell daughter Zion, see your king has come to you gentle and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the pole of a donkey. This is from Zechariah 9, 9. Daughter of Zion is simply about, in reference to the people of Israel, the people of, that are in Jerusalem in this moment at this time. And it's this parallel text to be able to say, hey, look, this was made known 500 years prior. How many of you remember anything from 500 years ago? Most of us don't. There was a prophecy that was given, and here Jesus is fulfilling it. And the people had an expectation that Jesus would come to cancel out all of the oppression that was taking place over them. But here Jesus says, no, I come gentle, I come lowly, I come with humility, I'm riding on a donkey. Now what's so amazing about this is, again, you read this in other Gospels. We find in John chapter 12, which is the account, the same account, but in John 12, that the disciples, when they're looking at this, look at this. It says, his disciples did not understand these things. Well, this is so encouraging to me. Like the disciples are in real time and they don't fully understand what's happening. Makes me feel good. Now, you have to remember though, why was and when was John the gospel written? See, Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written kind of as real-time uh, events happening in that place. But, but the Gospel of John is written as a reflection back on the life and ministry of Jesus. It was a, a Gospel written later in time. And so it says, hey, the disciples didn't understand these things at first. However, when Jesus was glorified, that means when Jesus had a, ascended into heaven, when Jesus was glorified, they remembered all these things that had been written about him and that they, that they had done these things to him. So in the same account, they're beginning to, to make sense of it after Jesus had resurrected. Now, when we go and hang out with Abby's family, they love to do something that I'm glad they love to do it. I don't find great enjoyment in it. And it's this. They love to take where you should be eating food, and they love to put together a puzzle. Now, I'm not anti-puzzles. I like the puzzles that are four or five pieces because it doesn't take long. One of the challenges of puzzles, particularly if you don't have the picture that you're supposed to be making, it can make the puzzle, put, putting the puzzle together very challenging. I mean, you ever try to put a puzzle together that you don't know what it's supposed to look like? I don't encourage it. I mean, I begin to look at these things, and I, I see how, oh, they're getting the border together. Okay, I'll, I'll, put, I'll get all the pieces that have the sharp edge on it. That'll be my job. Do the border after uh, many, many hours and lots and lots of help. And then we just start putting everything kind of in color-coded where, hey, here's all these pieces that seem to go together. But often I don't understand what the picture is until I see it. Then I'm able to piece it together. Puzzles are fine. 
until you start putting it together. And here, the disciples, they're not understanding all these things. They're going, I mean, I don't get all of this, but it's after they see it all put together. Oh, here it is. This is the way it's supposed to be. This is how things are supposed to go. This is exactly as he prophesied. And so the disciples, they didn't truly understand it fully until Jesus had been glorified. And for us, there's a sense that sometimes we don't see that Jesus is in control. But, but friend, you need to know he is in complete control. And so you then see in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 21, the disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They obeyed Jesus. They went to this next village. They got the donkeys. They brought the donkey and the colt. They laid their clothes on the donkeys, and Jesus sat on this donkey. This is one of the uh, only times on, on physical earth, other than Jesus being on a boat, where Jesus wasn't walking. Jesus is now riding. We learn in John that they took these branches, the crowd did, and they, they laid these branches in front of Jesus as he walked. And there were palm branches. That's why these, the kids walked through and, uh, and, and kept walking. And I think they're still walking somewhere. But they walk through, and this is a celebration. It's joyful. It's happy. It's, it's just a wonderful moment where this crowd is crying out. Jesus is and always has been in control. But look at verse 8. Verse 8 does, it takes a little bit of a turn. To, a, a very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees, spreading them on the road. What happens here is that we begin to see some different people being identified in this story. There's four different people or four different groups of people or individuals identified. The first one's Jesus. Jesus is there. That's good to know. Second group is the disciples. They're there. That's good to know. But the third group is this immediate crowd. There's an immediate crowd that's gathered. And so here's my, my first exhortation is Jesus is and always has been in control. Here's my second exhortation. Be careful, be careful as to why you praise Jesus. Be careful as to why you praise Jesus. They begin to lay down their own clothes. They begin to lay down their own branches to the Lord. And look what happens in verse uh, 9. It says, the crowds went ahead of him, and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Remember, son of David was what Matthew was emphasizing to us. Now, this is also a quotation. It's why in your text it might be bolded, or maybe there's a, 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 it's indented a little bit. It's quoting from another Old Testament passage of Scripture. Now, this quotation is from the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is a collection of psalms. That's why it's called the book of Psalms. Now, in the Psalms here, uh, uh, books 113 through 118 make up the halal. The halal was what they sang or recited during particular feasts. Feasts of the tabernacles, uh, uh, but also they also celebrated during the, the Passover. So the people of Israel would sing this particular halal during the Passover feast. Now remember, they're in Jericho, traveling through Jericho, going to Jerusalem to do what? Celebrate the Passover. So there's a large crowd gathered. So you have Jesus, you have the disciples, and now you have this immediate crowd. And this immediate crowd cries out, Hosanna. Hosanna simply means Savior or Rescuer or Save Now would be the literal translation of Hosanna. 
Save now, son of David, the Messiah, the prophesied one, the one that we've been waiting for. Save us now. There's a sense of praise coming out of them. And they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Again, Hosanna in the highest of heaven. So this immediate crowd is recognizing there's something unique and special about this man. They've gathered for the Passover. They've gathered together in Jerusalem. Some say there's 100,000. Some say 1.2 million. I don't know. We can ask and watch the Blu-ray DVD series when we get into heaven. I don't know. Just show me the replay. However, there's a multitude of people, and they're crying out praise to Jesus. Now, we don't know... We, we, we don't know if all of these in this immediate crowd would join in the chorus in some chapters ahead to cry out, crucify him. We, we don't know that because the text doesn't tell us that. But we might be able to surmise that there may be some in this group that have come to Jesus with a pretense. They, they want to follow Jesus for what they can get from him rather than coming to Jesus just for who he is. So many of us will praise Jesus because there's something we want from him rather than just having him and being satisfied in that. There's a, a, a grave danger for us to come to Jesus with some type of expectation. Here, here's what happens. I wanna, I'm going to follow Jesus so that my children would be safe. The world isn't safe. I understand the sentiment. I want my kids to be safe. I want to protect my, I'm going to follow Jesus so that my kids will be safe. But listen, when you follow Jesus, he says you're denying yourself, taking up your cross. And taking up the cross doesn't mean safety. It might even mean danger. And I'm going to follow him. I'll, I'll go wherever you want me to go and I'll do whatever you've called me to do. By your grace, am I going to be able to do that? I'm going where you want me to go, Jesus. And that may require your children to do some dangerous things, maybe safely, but to give of themselves to follow Jesus wherever that may be. Some, some come to Jesus and they, they follow Jesus because they want a happy marriage. My marriage isn't always happy. Now, don't raise your hand if that's you too. Like, there are sometimes some very challenging seasons in my marriage. But if you're following Jesus because you think that your marriage will always just be happy, and then all of a sudden something doesn't go to where your happiness meter is now down instead of up, or your spouse's happiness meter is down instead of up, you begin to go, well, I, then why am I in this at all? I'm not happy. I just want to be happy. And yet happiness is so fleeting, isn't it? When the ice cream truck comes down the street playing his little tune, I won't impersonate it. And I can get a bombsicle, red, white, and blue. And I can buy it 
for now like six bucks. <laughs> Used to be 50 cents. And I go, inflation, right? I, I go from great joy to sadness of how expensive it is. And then I put it in my mouth, oh, this is wonderful. And then because of the summer heat, it melts all over my hand. And now I'm not happy anymore. So sometimes marriage isn't happy, and maybe that's exactly by God's design, so that you would not worship your happiness, but you would find joy in the Lord who brings satisfaction, no matter the ups and the downs in a marriage. Jesus never promised you happiness. He said, come and follow me. Your difficult marriage may be difficult so that you might rely more on him than on yourself. Well, I'm going to follow Jesus because I'll have success in my business. Be careful for following Jesus for what you might get from him. You need to follow Jesus because you get him. And so they shout, Hosanna, son of David, blessed is he who comes in. Hosanna. Now, what was their expectation? Their expectation was that this is the, the peace giver. This is the prince of peace. He's riding the donkey of peace. He's riding this, and we're laying down our clothes so that he would walk on them. And the expectation was that he would eradicate them from the oppression of the government. He would somehow remove the political leaders and instead, Jesus said, I'm not coming to remove the political leaders. I'm actually coming to do something far greater. I'm removing the sin that so separates you from the Father. That's a greater victory. There is a separation between you and the Heavenly Father because of our sin. This is why we're going to take of the Lord's Supper in here a moment. Not because it absolves us of our sin, but rather it helps us remember the sacrifice Jesus made for us. Hosanna, son of David. So there's Jesus, there's the disciples, there's this immediate crowd. But watch, watch this in verse 10 and 11. When he entered in Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar. Again, why were they in an uproar? They've heard all these stories about Jesus. They've heard about him coming. He's now riding this donkey into the city saying, who is this? There's the informed crowd and then there's the wondering crowd. Who, who is this? They had no idea who this Jesus was. And so the, the crowd that was in the know said, this is the prophet Jesus from the Nazareth of Galilee. This is the promised one. This is the, the teacher. This is the one we've been waiting for. Friend, there are people that we run into all the time that may know that Jesus died, but they don't know why he died. Easter and the Sundays that surround it tend to be high attendance Sundays because there's many who understand culturally that this is kind of what we do. But you may know that Jesus died, but you may not know why he died. And there are those that you encounter that know that Jesus died, but they don't know why he died. And so they're maybe asking, who is this? And you've got to be ready to say, Jesus who died in my place. If someone asks you, who is Jesus, would you be able to tell them? Who is Jesus, would you be able to say with confidence that you know him? Who is Jesus, would you be able to exclaim the, and proclaim the goodness of the mercies of God in the hard times and the good times. Everybody loves 
to worship Jesus in the good times, but it's in the hard times that we find how good his nearness is. This last week, this last week has been a sobering reminder that this is, this is not our home. It's been an awful week for, I think, in American history. I feel like we have a string of these lately. And I think about a school, and every school would say this, well, that, this will never happen here. To have somebody come in where mental illness is a real thing and to use a, a weapon to remove the lives of six individuals who probably sh- put on their shoes that day and went to the school that day, particularly a, a Christian school in this moment. And we grieve over this moment where the innocent lives are, are taken and then, and then to see, and then to see Political leaders pontificate and extrapolate and then not even recognize their followers of Christ. It's a reminder, this is not our home. Like, and then to, to, to say the things of, oh, well, well this, this is who we have to do. no. Listen, friend, this this was just a stark reminder. My citizenship as a follower of Christ is in heaven. Who is this? It's Jesus, worthy to to be followed, worthy to be given my life for, worthy to be praised. This world is not my home, and yet so often I find myself trying to make this my home. We're strangers. And then to see the destruction of, a, of tornadoes to just rip, I mean totally rip apart whole neighborhoods and cities. And a reminder to sit there and go, Lord, this is not our home. Who, who is this? People will look and say, well, how can you follow a Jesus that would allow these things? Because he's worthy. Because he he didn't look from a distance and say, oh, y'all, y'all figure it out. It's Jesus with dirty feet. Walked the streets of Jerusalem. Marched his way to the cross. Wrongly accused. But taking on the sins of the world. Your sin and my sin so that you might have life and, and have it more abundantly. Not just to be able to enjoy this life and relax a little bit and, and ride off into the sunset. But rather to say, I'm going to spend my life to follow him because he willingly gave his life to save me. Who is this? It's Jesus. Prince of Peace. King of kings, Lord of lords, is calling on you and on me. And so today, the invitation, the Spirit may be convicting you of some sin. I would encourage you, I would encourage you, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper, these elements, they they are not, they're not going to fix you. They don't save you. They don't make you whole. The Lord's Supper is a, a reminder of what Christ has done. In fact, when he gives instructions, he says, do this in remembrance of me. 
So, so here's a couple of encouragements for us today. One, if you haven't trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, we, we are going to ask you to not take it. You can't renew your commitment to the Lord if you've never made a commitment to the Lord. So, so please just respect that. If you say, well, that's rude and mean and not inclusive. Look, there's, there's just some fencing that we're doing here for your sake and for, well, for your sake. But secondly, we, we encourage those who have followed through in Christ through salvation, but also followed in believers' baptism. We feel like that's a, a necessary obedience step. And so that's kind of how we're fencing this today, this Lord's Supper. But you need to remember this doesn't, save you. Christ saves you. And so this morning, you may be under some conviction of sin, and we even encourage you, you need to do your business with God. We're going to give a chance for us to do that. And then in a moment after we do that, we'll have you sit down, and we'll, our deacons and leadership will pass this to you, and, and just hold on to it. We'll take it all together, because taking it all together does something for us. It, it reminds us that we're part of one body. That we could do a march coming forward and each take individually. That could happen and that's fine. It's not unbiblical. But I'm just saying, taking it all together reminds us we're part of a body of Christ. We're part of a family. And so we'll pass this to you. We'll take it. And we'll be done. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. We thank you for the chance to, to have opened your word. To hear that you are in control. To hear that... Um, we need to be careful of why we praise you. And so, Lord, in this time of response, that, Lord, we would be faithful to you. We'd respond to you in spirit and in truth. And now, Lord, lead us in this time of invitation, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.